things that Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. They're called Beatitudes, the blessed are they who, and fill in the blank. And this week we are ready for the fifth Beatitude, the fifth Beatitude. And this one is pretty straightforward. You can look it up in all the different translations of the Bible, and it's almost word for word the same. Here it is, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, it's been said, an easy way to understand what mercy is, is that mercy is not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. Well, I think of, there, there is a hundred stories of mercy in our scripture and a bunch of stories that I could tell of people in history who have experienced mercy, but the prophet Jonah of the Old Testament is one that I want to talk about today. The prophet Jonah. You know the story. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach, to go there and preach to those people preach the kingdom of God and preach repentance. And uh, Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 tells us that uh, Jonah knew that God would have mercy on Nineveh if he went there. So uh, Jonah didn't go. He went the opposite way that God told him to go. And if you know the story, um, Jonah was running from God. He was on a ship in the sea because he wanted to get way away from where God wanted him to be because he really didn't want those people in Nineveh to get the mercy of God. So he was out in the middle of the sea, and all of a sudden the wind starts to blow. And it blows harder, and the waves begin to come up on the ship, and the ship is, is tossing back and forth, and it looks like that everyone on the ship is going to die. And at a point where uh, Jonah has a, a stand-up moment, I guess we could say, if any part of this, this uh, account of Jonah is, um, is leaning towards Jonah having integrity, it would be this point right here. He decides that he knows why there is a storm. And he tells the other people on the ship, hey, this storm is, is my fault because I'm running from God. You see, I'm a Hebrew I'm a prophet of God, and he told me to do something, and I didn't. And so this is why we are about to die. So here's what you can do. You can throw me overboard and be saved. We've got to hand it to Jonah. That's a pretty good, pretty good uh, stand-up thing to do, sacrifice his life for the others. Now, in this moment, um, it's pretty good, but I don't think this is him having mercy on the rest of the folks in the boat. Let's not give Jonah hero status here. I mean, he's going to die either way if he gets thrown over the boat or if the boat sinks. And, um, you know, as far as we're talking about mercy being um, not getting what you deserve, uh, in this situation, I don't think the other sailors um, deserved to drown in the sea. So... In this account, this story of Jonah, um, this is not where mercy is at, but it's coming. Jonah is thrown into the water. Once the folks on the boat realize that that's, that would solve the problem, they, they asked God, and they were worshiping many gods, but they said, hey, uh, God of Jonah, um, don't hold us guilty for this, and they throw Jonah into the water, and 
What do you think that feels like? Jonah being thrown over, falling, falling, hitting the water, plunging down. Have you ever jumped into the water from uh, a height of maybe 30 feet or so? And I don't encourage you to do that. It's, it's dangerous unless you have just the right place to do it or, or a high diving board. One time I did that. It was in, in a place where there was a cliff and, and the water down below was really, really deep, 40 feet deep. And so it was safe to jump. People were doing it. And so I jumped off. And whenever you jump at a long distance like that, you have to hold real tight. Um, and you have to wear shoes because when you hit the water, it hurts. And if you have your arms out like this, um, they get broken or something. But falling and falling, and it felt like forever, the fall, but it wasn't nearly as long as when I hit the water and was underwater. And I didn't know which way was up, except for the water's really clear so that I could see the sun, and so I, I swam towards the sun. And I thought I was going to run out of breath before I hit the top, and then I finally broke the surface. Breath of fresh air. So Jonah is being thrown, falling, falling, in the water. Down he goes. The ship's probably tall. It's one of the big ships in the sea, probably. There's a lot of people on board. So you have a long ways to fall, and even longer under the water. You have plenty of time to think. Jonah probably never made it back to surface. Probably never got to the surface. But he had time to have things going through his mind. Now, what goes through your mind when you're under the water in the sea? I don't know. Uh, things like, are there sharks? Um, hey, back then, there could have been sea monsters, like the dinosaurs, the, the things that we find in the ground, buried in the rock, the fossils, the bones. Uh, maybe those were alive back then. Uh, Jonah had plenty to be afraid of under the water. He also had these thoughts going through his mind probably like, I'm going to die. This is, this is it for me. It's not long now. Should have listened to God. This is what I get. And probably just when his body had run out of oxygen. Just when the second that he thought he was done for. <sighs> Both his worst nightmare and his greatest hope all at once. A sea monster eats him. Oh, the, the, the scripture says a big fish or a whale, but uh, what does it matter? It's a big animal and it eats Jonah, and Jonah probably doesn't care, doesn't care if it's a sea monster or a fish or a whale or whatever it is. It has ate him. Now, the sea monster is working for God, and thankfully, it does not disobey like Jonah did. Now, think about that for a second. If, if the, the whale or the sea monster um, disobeyed God like Jonah did, you know, he would be over here in the sea and God tells the, the sea monster, hey, I need you to go and eat a man who gets thrown off of a ship to save him. And if the sea monster would have been like, mm, no, I don't want you to have mercy on him, I'm not going to go. That would have been the end of Jonah. And that would have been the end of Nineveh. 
But the sea monster wasn't like uh, Jonah because he serves God. That's his, his only option. And so he goes and thankfully eats Jonah. And all of a sudden, Jonah, instead of drowning under the water, finds himself in a place where he can breathe. Oh, imagine that first breath when Jonah was inside the belly of the, the fish. That first breath, uh, he can breathe. It's probably not good air. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. That's the thing about mercy. That's the thing about mercy. True mercy makes us realize what we can truly be grateful for. Oh, imagine, imagine your house is on fire. And you're out in the yard watching the house burn. And you're thinking about all of the things that you have inside of the house that you cherished so much. Um, maybe it's the new couch that you just bought. Uh, maybe you're thinking about, man, I just got trim put around my windows in my house and now it's burning up. I just bought a new rifle. Uh, fill in the blank. It's in the house and it's getting destroyed and, and you're worked up about it. You're losing that. And you turn around, count your kids. You've got five of them. One, two, three, four. All of a sudden, all of the stuff in the house doesn't matter at all. It is worthless because something more important is missing. Now you want your child to be safe. Well, in those few minutes, it's probably exactly what's happening to Jonah. And then your kid comes around from the back of the house and he runs to you and he's safe. He had escaped and you hug him. And after that, the only thing that matters is that he is safe. Your child is safe. That's, that's mercy. It makes you think about what's really important. Man, you spend a few minutes underwater all of a sudden, the important things become clear. Jonah was grateful for God saving him in the belly of the fish because he cried out to God in the belly of the fish, that sea monster, and he gave thanks to God for having mercy on him. Now listen, there's usually an easy way to learn things, and there's often a hard way to learn things. A sea monster? Well, that's the hard way. You don't have to be eaten by a sea monster to experience mercy. Jesus teaches us the easy way. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Pretty simple. If you show mercy, you will be shown mercy. That would be the easy way. It's evidently not an easy principle to carry out, though, because Jonah struggles again later on with God having mercy on Nineveh. He doesn't want to, to uh, go and do what God's asking him to do because he still doesn't want him to have mercy. Remember Balaam in the Old Testament? Balaam is not uh, as uh, well-known as Jonah. 
Um, you'll find his account in Numbers chapter 22, the book of Numbers chapter 22. Let me tell you um, his, uh, his account, his story real quick. The king of Moab, a place called Moab, and there's a king there. Um, and this king was worried that all the Israelites that were coming from Egypt might overrun his town and all his people. So he tried to hire the prophet Balaam to uh, come and curse these Israelite people that are about to overrun him and his, his area of Moab. So he gets a hold of the prophet Balaam, come and curse these people. And you know what Balaam says? Ba and just like Jonah when he said, hey, throw me off the boat, we've got to give Balaam a little credit here because he says, uh, we'll see what God has to say about that. There's a good thing to learn from Balaam. He says, okay, let's ask God. See what God thinks. In everything that you do in your life, plan on doing that. Uh, ask God about it. Talk to God. Uh, see what he thinks. So Balaam says, we're going to talk to God. Um, and so he does. He says, hey, God, uh, can I curse Israel? Should I curse Israel, these people, for uh, this king? Now, what, what do you think God says? No. No. Israel is his people, his chosen people, the people that he blessed, like the people that he is focusing on so that they, the, the Savior, will come through the people of Israel, Jesus will, and he loves them. He's not going to curse them. No. Basically, God, or God says to Balaam, uh, why would I do that? Why? So Balaam um, he went to, he told the messengers, told the king, um, God, God said, no, no, can't do it. And then the king had the nerve to ask again, Balaam, curse the people for me. I mean, for crying out loud, how dare the king ask God a question like this twice in a row? But you know what's worse? Balaam had the nerve to ask God again, the prophet Balaam. He said, hey, God, they still want me to go curse your people. What do you think? Have you ever been exhausted with telling your kid no? Like you've told them no so many times that finally you're just like, oh, okay, fine. You can go, but you'll stay right by my side and you won't say a word and you'll only do Anything that I tell you, you won't do anything unless I tell you to do it. You listen to exactly what I say because you're tired of telling them no. I think that's maybe what God's doing here. Uh, he says, God says, okay, uh, fine. You want to go? You better listen to everything I tell you, Balaam. If I let you go, there better be 100% obedience. Fine, go but do only what I tell you to do. Now, God has it in mind to bless Israel again, not to curse them. He has a blessing for Israel. Oh, so you don't have to tell Balaam twice. Uh, God said, go. Balaam saddles up his donkey, and he was on his way. And it seems that God wants to see if Balaam was, would really do exactly as God tells him. So he wants to test it out a little bit. And so he sends an angel of the Lord to stand in the path in front of Balaam as he's on his way. 
the angel of the Lord is standing in the path. And here comes Balaam riding his donkey. And uh, the donkey does whatever is trained to do, by the way. If you have a donkey, well, even if you train a donkey to relay, sometimes he still doesn't do it very well. But uh, typically, a donkey, donkey does what he's trained to do, which is usually um, eat grass and make annoying braying noises. Right? That's, that's what a donkey does. But here he is. Uh, his uh, master, Balaam, is riding him. But when God stands in the pathway, the donkey can't ignore the angel of the Lord. He just can't. Uh, people can. People can ignore God all day long. Uh, we can refuse to see God. We can pretend that God doesn't exist. We can pay no attention to Him. But an animal can't. You see, an animal is created to do what God created the animal to do. And the animal, the donkey, sees the angel of the Lord. He stops. I ain't going past that angel. And he gets beat by Balaam. Balaam uh, hops off and proceeds to whoop the donkey. The second time, it happens again. They get back, uh, Balaam gets back on the donkey, and they head down the path, going, um, going down the path, and then uh, the angel of the Lord stands before the path again, and the donkey stops uh, because he sees it, and Balaam doesn't see the angel of the Lord, but um, then the donkey stops and he gets beat again because the donkey's working for God. And the third time it happens, Third time it happens, and this time, when the donkey stops, the donkey is, is done. It's like, I'm, I'm done, and he lays down. This time, the angel of the Lord has his sword drawn, the scripture says. Balaam doesn't see the angel because he's not looking for God. But the donkey has had enough. This time, the donkey literally says, and I mean literally in the sense of um, actually really, not literally like the teenagers use it, you know, oh, this is literally the worst day of my life. This is literally the worst thing, in which the teenagers haven't experienced the literally the worst thing because they've never been to hell. That's literally the worst thing. But this is actually talking about literally, actually, really happened. The donkey actually, for real, opened his mouth, the scripture says, and he says, what have I done to deserve you beating me? And I imagine the donkey's nervously looking over his shoulder or his withers or whatever a donkey has. He's looking over it at the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn in the path. He says to Balaam, what have I done to cause you to beat me? Balaam says, you make me look like a fool. <clears throat> and the donkey didn't say these words, but he should have. He said, make you look like a fool. You are a fool. You can't see the angel of the Lord right here. I can see the angel of the Lord. You have rode me all your life, the donkey says. Have I ever done anything like this before? The donkey's like, come on, open your eyes. Do you see what's right in front of us? He's got his sword drawn. Hint, hint, I've never done anything like to you, this to you before. 
And then the Lord had to open Balaam's eyes. Balaam couldn't even open him himself. It says, scripture says the Lord had to open Balaam's eyes. So, and they were probably already open. They just, he just wasn't looking for God, right? He could see the mountains. He could see the path. But he wasn't looking for God because he was ignoring God and what God wanted him to do. <clears throat> so he didn't see the angel of the Lord. So now the Lord opened his eyes. And <clears throat> what do you think he feels like at this moment? He's probably feeling just as Jonah did when he was sinking in the sea. Here's the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn. Balaam sees him now. I'm going to die. This is what I deserve. This is what I get. Man, I should have listened to God. I should have kept my eyes open looking for God. Scripture says he bowed low before the angel of the Lord. You know, every angel that we read in this text is, is scary. People, uh, angels are good, but people are scared of them because they're, they're terrifying, they're strong, they got swords. Balaam folds down in the dirt low. He's probably fully expecting to breathe his last breath. But here comes the mercy. <clears throat> Instead of uh, the sword that Balaam deserved, he got rebuked. It had to have been just like when Jonah took the first breath inside of the sea monster. <gasps> it wasn't good, right? The breath wasn't good air. But it was good that there was air. Balaam received words right then from the angel of the Lord. They weren't words that made him feel good, but it was good that he could hear words. Numbers chapter 22, verse 32. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Basically, here's what the, uh, the angel of the Lord um, told this uh, prophet of God. He said, the donkey that you are riding is smarter than you are. And the donkey that you're riding saved your life. In verse 34... Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. God says, now, now that I've got your attention, Balaam, we are going to bless Israel, not curse them. Jonah didn't want God to show mercy to Nineveh. They don't deserve mercy. They're wicked, evil people. Can you relate to Jonah? Can you relate to Jonah? There's a person in your life that you don't think deserves mercy. Maybe it's the ornery kids down the road that you don't want to be nice to. Maybe it's a boss that's just a punk. A co-worker or, or that family member. 
They're not worth you giving them time of day. Maybe they've done so many bad things. Maybe it's an enemy that you have in mind. They don't deserve mercy. But you know what? God had mercy on Jonah. And he wanted to let the whole town of Nineveh, whole town full of people, he wanted to let them burn up. And that's bad. But God had mercy on him. You know, Balaam didn't have mercy on his mind. He was ready to curse Israel just because the king of Moab wanted him to. And the king was going to pay him uh, money to do that. Can you relate to Balaam? Your eyes aren't on God. You don't know what he wants you to do. You would miss him if it weren't for a few talking donkeys in your life. Maybe you would even go as far as being willing to curse people, take advantage of them because someone popular wants you to, or because maybe you'll gain financially for it. That's bad. That's what Balaam did. But God had mercy on Balaam. Hey, these are just two examples of people <clears throat> from whom God had mercy on. Like I said, this book is full of people <coughs> who received God's mercy. This church is full of people who have received God's mercy. So how can we receive it? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to Him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I also like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressing transgressions, it is by the grace that you have been saved. God is rich in mercy. So it is through faith and forgiveness that we receive this mercy. Now let me tell you what the ultimate mercy is. Here it is, eternal life. The ultimate mercy is getting eternal life. Now, how do we get eternal life? Someone once asked Jesus that very same question. And here's how Jesus answered. What does the law of Moses say? Well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, yes, that's it. But the fellow who asked the question said, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? But you know what? Uh, Jesus doesn't answer this question directly because uh, it turns out for Jesus, and as far as Jesus is concerned, the thing that is more important is not who you show mercy to, but how you show mercy. 
God wants us to show mercy to everyone who needs it. It doesn't matter what kind of a person it is. It doesn't matter uh, who it is. The question is, how do I be a neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but how do I be a neighbor? Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you recognize that that's, uh, that's the parable in which he teaches this, it's from Luke chapter 10. A Christian man, okay, uh, originally the text says a Jewish man, but if we were to understand it a little bit better, we would say a Christian man was traveling down from, oh, North Kansas City down to Olathe, and he was attacked by a gang. And they all took his money, and, or they took all his money and everything out of his car and beat him up. And they left him half dead beside the road. Well, by chance, a preacher came along. Original text says that a priest, but a preacher came along and he saw the man lying there and he passed by on the other side of the road. And then a deacon, an elder, came by, drove slowly and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by without doing anything. This poor guy on the side of the road, this poor guy, I mean, He's a Christian. He's got the Jesus bumper sticker on the back of his car. And the preacher and the elder don't even stop to help him out. Man, if a preacher and an elder don't stop to help you, then there's no hope. Remember how Jonah and Balaam felt? Man, there's no hope. This is the end, sinking in the water, about to be ran through with a sword. The only difference in this story is that Jesus doesn't say anything about the fellow deserving it. He's just beaten. He's ready to die. <clears throat> he's feeling like this is his last minute on earth. And then a third person comes up. A third person. And you know, uh, 30 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, the fella alongside the road that was beaten and about to die was thinking, please let someone come who will be most likely to have mercy on me. I don't know, somebody like maybe a preacher, uh, maybe somebody like an elder of a church or a deacon. Let somebody like that come by to stop me. But now he's laying there with no hope because they've come by and passed him, passed him by. And then just then, another guy comes along. It doesn't look promising. It's not looking good. This fellow's walking up. As a matter of fact, uh, probably recognizes him from being from the wrong side of town. This is the kind of guy that uh, he doesn't like to deal with. That is, uh, they hate each other. <clears throat> this guy is not wearing the right clothes, he looks rough, and he doesn't look like the preacher or the deacon, there's probably no chance that he's going to stop and help him out. <clears throat> the fellow laying on the side of the road can barely see out of one of his swollen eyes, probably. This ain't good. The air in the sea monster wasn't good, but it was good to have air. The words of correction from the angel of the Lord didn't feel good, but it was good to hear words. The third guy, 
walked up, didn't seem good, but he stopped. He stopped. Do you know why the parable is called the Good Samaritan? It isn't because Samaritans are good. Because they usually were not good. It's because the character in Jesus' parable was different than other Samaritans. He was uh, actually, surprisingly, uh, good. So is the good Samaritan. This third guy, good Samaritan, felt compassion for the fella. He bandaged him up, and then he put the man in his truck and took him to the ER. The next day, he paid the fella's medical bill. You know, I'll bet the Samaritan knew what it was like to be cheated, to be robbed, to be beat up, to be passed by, to be overlooked. I'll bet that's where his compassion come from. He knew what it felt like, and he didn't wish it on anyone else. So he was going to help. Here's why Jesus taught that story. Luke 10, verse 36. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? man replied, The one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes. Now go and do the same. You know what I want to be? I want to be a neighbor. I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be good looking. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be strong or smart. I don't want to be Superman because Superman doesn't have anything on a neighbor. You know, we should make a t-shirt. A t-shirt that says, I am a neighbor. And then someone, someone would ask, uh, what's so good about being a neighbor? And we can say, a neighbor is merciful. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Have you experienced God's mercy? Do you know what it feels like? Maybe you've been sinking underwater. Maybe you've been attacked to the point of almost dying. <clears throat> Maybe you've been left on the side of the road. I'm here to tell you that our God is a merciful God. He will forgive you. Ask Him. Come to Him. Talk to Him. He will forgive you for everything if you just put your faith in Him. And hey, Jesus wants us to have the same kind of mercy on the folks that we hang out with every day. Have mercy on them. We'll experience God's blessing, which is eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, oh, we are so grateful for your word. We are so grateful that we have a Savior. Lord, that no matter how we try, we mess up all the time, God. 
but we can still be forgiven by You. Lord, I'm asking You to come into our lives and to help us every day to be stronger, to be better parents, to be uh, better spouses, God, to be better, be, better uh, children. Lord, help us to be better followers of You, Lord. Help us to have mercy. Lord, thank You for the mercy that You have on us. In Jesus' name we pray.